Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. It is good to be here in the season of Advent. I'm Richard Wing, and as you know, uh, Sandy Anthony and I are here to walk with you through this Advent season and the advent of a new chapter here at Church of the Beatitudes. Great anticipation is what's spoken of in the, in the Gospels, and I hope that you will look to the future of this congregation and the, as it stands at the advent of new beginnings, new hope, new vitality, Advent is truly the season for this church, for sure. So here's the message of Jesus in the text, describes what uh, happens in Advent. Anticipation that something is about to happen. Anytime you see the people in the New Testament anticipating that something is about to break in, you know you're hearing the text rightly. The kingdom of God is at hand. Stars fall. Night is gone. You will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with power and glory. This present age is passing away. Come, Lord Jesus, make a new world for us. Something is about to happen. It's in every one of the words as we celebrate the Advent season. So there was a man by the name of Tom Long who said that the early church lived on tiptoes of anticipation. If you read into the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, it's like Jesus is coming back anytime, anytime, anytime. They're living on tiptoe. After 100 years, the church had to adjust to the fact that the physical return of Jesus obviously hadn't happened. And now what? And they made a reluctant departing from Judaism. But anticipation is the great word. And the anticipation of the presence of God breaking in is not something that was either revoked or was a mistake or somebody was reporting incorrectly. In fact, God did come in a mighty way, but sometimes we fail to see the way that God comes. And so we come to Advent again, and these people standing on tiptoe. We all know what expectations look like, people living on tiptoe for something to come that is hopefully wonderful. There is a couple uh, that have taken the third bedroom in their house. They've made it into a nursery. Uh, they've painted an old crib that was given to them. And they're greatly anticipating that a baby might be coming to them. Not pregnant yet, but they have great hope. They have great anticipation of that end. That happening for sure. There's a community in, in Iowa 
that was told that in this uh, presidential campaign uh, in Iowa that um, the presidential candidate, one of them is going to come through their town. So they cleaned the place up. You know, the small town got a little shabby in places, so they cleaned that baby up, looking real good for the presidential candidate. We don't know who, and we don't care who the candidate is. We're just glad that somebody's coming uh, to our little town. And you know about the pushing in lines that came on Black Friday, the edgy clerks, the gifts that are carefully chosen, either in person or online, they seem to exert the same amount of uh, frustration. Either way, uh, the crash is put up on the mantle so that the grandkids coming won't go mess it on up. That crash has been in the, in the family for 50 years now, and we don't want it to get messed up. Uh, we, we are glad the kids are there, but got to be careful with that family treasure. Chaos, yes, but everything has a meaning. Why? Because something is about to happen. Anticipation is in the air. It's the whole mood of Advent, and I hope, of this congregation. But just as the expectations are raised, so are the disappointments. That young couple with a nice new room, they've been trying to have a child. It's going on now for a couple of years. And for some reason, they just can't seem to have a pregnancy. Don't know what's wrong. Do you know that one of the greatest stresses among young families in America are that, those couples who would like to get pregnant and somehow can't. Terrible stress. We don't think about that much, but it's terrible stress. They want to have a kid. The room is ready. And yet something is not happening. And so then we think about that that um, presidential candidate. Uh, he's the one who makes a last-minute uh, decision. Uh, it's best not to go to Fort Madison. He just goes right straight on to uh, Des Moines. There's lots more people there, probably more chance to talk to a few people about some of the great and important things that, that he has uh, to share with people. And the people in that small town are greatly disappointed. After all, all that cleaning, after all that anticipation, what a bummer. A family member uh, died last year, and there will be an empty chair at the table, and it's a hard time for these people to work through that emptiness it has an emptiness inside that cannot be filled. The ugly arguments uh, about integration that started at Thanksgiving, people getting red in the face, families coming together, seems like not, not to be a good idea for many families any longer because, you know, this divided country. So they started arguing about integration there at Thanksgiving. They're going to pick it up again in Christmas and get even more red in the face. There will be more yelling and there will be questions about 
should we even do this anymore? Why even bother? This is so painful. 42 Americans, 42 million Americans will go to bed hungry today. One out of five children in Arizona, one out of five will go to bed hungry today. And sometimes after all of the good work that you are doing in the church, it feels like people just don't give a damn. And the problem with the church is that it's more concerned about me saying damn from the pulpit than they are one in five children starving. And it's a problem. Sometimes we give the emphasis in the wrong places. There's a, a dear woman by the name of Judy who invented the work of uh, healthy packs. I mean, just think of this. I went to watch a pack at one time, and I was taking a bunch of pictures, and on people at the church there were working on it. And these kids get these free lunches and, 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 and breakfast there at school, and then you come down to Friday, and they're going to go home to no food. And so you take a healthy pack, you put it in the, the backpack. Oh, some kids are too proud. They don't want to do that, especially in the teen years then. No, I don't want to do that. So they give them cards for McDonald's to carry them through Monday when the next meal will come. We can do better than that, I think. We recognize the church hasn't kept up with the demands of social change. Attendance lags, we know that, in all denominations. You know, as you sit, about, sit here thinking about what the church was several years ago or something like that, that's different right now, don't think you're special. Don't think you're alone. It's happening everywhere in every church in America Attendance lags, yeah, we know about that. Pandemic has spelled death to many churches. I can name them for you. It is uh, called to renewal. There's a call to renewal at the same time, and this church is one that knows how to hear that because there is a future for you. And we'll be talking about that more this afternoon. The church is always needing money, and we have to talk about it all the time. Uh, most churches took a wrong turn. Most of the churches in America, 80% minimum, and I'll raise it one more percent if you challenge me, preach judgment rather than grace. And God is not amused by that. I have six kids. I've worked with a, tons of kids in church. I go to prisons on Monday night no human being becomes better by telling them how bad they are. And it was a guy in, amen. It's not going to happen. Just not going to happen. And there is a man that I visit each Monday night who was the one who said, Dick, you have probably discovered in church life that all of us are in a prison of some kind. Some of us are behind bars. We're all carrying something heavy. I say that in the benediction every week. I hope you don't get tired of it. Be kind to each other because everyone you meet this week without exception is carrying something heavy. Anticipation turned to disappointment. Plus, we can't stand on our tiptoes without our muscles getting really sore. You know how your legs kind of get shaky if you do that for a while? You say, oh man, I need to get off this. Perhaps this year there will be room in the end for Jesus. Maybe, you think? 
As you work with the symbols of the story of the birth of Jesus, no room in the end. Perhaps this year there will be room in the end for Jesus. Maybe? You think? It was Jim Finley, great spiritual director who works with uh, Richard Rohr, who said, there is never any room in the end, but God comes anyway. It's about making room for the presence of God. In the middle of all of this, uh, I dare to bring you good news. I'm not paid to lie to you. I bring you good news. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in the spirit of that child who grew up and in his childhood was met in Bethlehem with a no-vacancy sign. Let us never hang that in front of the one who doesn't come to see through us, but to see us through. To see us through. And so I'm going to make a couple of suggestions uh, to you, and I'll, I, I need to go rapidly, briefly, a lot going on today. In, in this season, I think there are two things we need. One of them is to get real. Albert Schweitzer said that God reveals himself as you are doing what Jesus asked you to do. Not through argument, not through creeds, but deeds. Now, I met somebody in the parking lot today, and I know that you are, are having family staying here in the life of the church. Are we ever more like God than when we do that? We are never more like God than when we are reaching out to those who are the last, the least, and the lost in this world and bring them forth. Give them daily needs that are there. Point them along the way. I know it's complex at times. I know it gets complex at times, especially with mental illness. But the call of Jesus was to go to the last, the least, and the lost. And to this day, Jesus, God, has not changed their minds about this. It is our work. That's how people know. They'll know we are Christians by our love. And so it was Schweitzer who finally, at the age of 30, said, I'm tired of these arguments. Joe, we were talking about that earlier. You know, you don't argue anybody into faith or anything else like that. We were talking about the fact that at 27 years of age, we knew everything. Yeah, I graduated 27 with a doctorate, and I don't know how old you were, but, you know, we, we just con conversed before worship center. We knew everything at that time, and right now we're standing a little older than 27, and we are agreed that the whole thing is mystery. And we are called to embrace that mystery. Faith cannot be proven. It's basically trusting that all will be well. All manner of things will be well. And so it was Schweitzer who said, and I can't give any better advice to anyone, at 30 years of age, looking at the seminary in the rearview mirror, he said, I will let my life be my argument. That's perfect. Let our life be our argument. God, without words, changes hearts. Arguments change nothing. Please hear this today. Uh, the early church gave itself to thinking about Jesus returning when, in fact, Jesus promised in the Gospel of John that 
I'll disappear, but I'm not leaving you. I won't leave you hanging. Read the Gospel of John. He said that. It's a promise. There's a man by the name of Art Sanders uh, who was the pastoral care uh, person in the church that I served in Ohio for about, oh, he was there about 23 years. He was already retired when I came, and he became a dear friend and great confidant and great encourager. And he said in his ministry, many people came to me and said, now, come on, Art, do you think Jesus is actually going to return? And Art always said, I don't think he left in the first place. He's the one who read the Gospel of John. I will not leave you as an orphan. It was Art and Schweitzer who gave their lives to the Jesus who reveals himself to us in the present moment in every act of kindness, service, love, and healing. Jesus reveals himself now in his distressing disguise among the poor, said Mother Teresa. And I can hear that, having walked among many poor people, the distressing disguise of Jesus. And it's glorifying. It's glory when we do something about it. Uh, you know, every place that I've ever gone in this world, uh, I find, I, I, I wanted to take something of that spirit of Jesus. I wanted to follow Schweitzer's advice there, take that spirit of Jesus. But every time that I go there to take that spirit of Jesus, I find that Jesus has gotten there ahead of me. In the slums of Tijuana, where we came to build houses, and the people on their $2 a day would get tortillas and beans and took delight delight in serving us in their new home, 11 by 22, in the hovels of India, in the orphanage in Kenya, in the social service center in Guatemala, the bedsides of friends in Arizona. I go to take what I think is the love of Jesus, and I find that Jesus has gotten there ahead of me. And in the fellowship of dealing with all of the chances and changes of life, the Spirit of Jesus seems to show up and make a difference. So that's one thing. We need to get real, and the second thing we need to do is uh, maybe sit still. Sit still. Now, that's really good advice for you. Say, yeah, Dick, really easy for you, maybe. You know, we, we, we go into this season, uh, do you realize how much dread comes in this season? Oh, my gosh, I'm going to go through all that stuff and fight crowds and do all this stuff, not to mention the relatives especially of other theological and political ideas. Remember that scene I gave? But to sit still, to find some particular moment. I recognize more at this time in my life, like never before. I thought it was always getting a lot of stuff done is where God wanted me. And now I'm hearing a different voice, a louder one from God is, sit still, my boy. I'm going to have you repeat here in a second. You know the text from Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Now I'm going to have you repeat this with me, okay? I want you to repeat after me. Be still and know that I am God. 
Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Be still and know that I am God. I studied with Richard Rohr for three years uh, in New Mexico with his Center for uh, Contemplation and Action. And um, when we were there, he told the story about the time that he, uh, a writer, has written all kinds of stuff. Anything you can read of him is, is going to be good. Uh, he, he talked about a time that he went to a monastery that was dedicated to silence. And so he went there to do some writing. And so out on his morning walk, he's, he's walking past one of the monks uh, dedicated to silence. So he's just walking right by him. And it turns out that they had gone to school together. And so this monk dedicated to silence turns on around and says, hey, Richard, is that you? I guess that's not silent any longer. Guess he broke the silence. And Richard, yeah, it is. He says, now, Richard, he says, I understand you're going all over the world talking to people. He says, yes, I've been doing that. And you write books, yes. Well, Richard, tell everybody God is not out there. He's in here. Good to see you. Bye. And he entered back into his silence. The kingdom of God is within you. And so is the God we have sought in all the wrong places in all the wrong places. You remember that uh, part of the Ten Commandments says you will have no graven images before me. And of course, you got to start thinking about a, a, I always thought about a golden calf or maybe a rock or something, you know. Like some of those things you found on South Sea Islands. Uh, that's what I've thought about as graven images. But a graven image is anything that gets in the way of you and God. You are the Church of the Beatitudes. I love, I love that so much because if you just took the Beatitudes, if you took the Sermon on the Mount, that's all you need to know to work on the rest of your life. I tell people that often. Just go ahead and chop them out, five, six, seven of them, of Matthew. That's enough for the rest of your life. Don't worry about the rest. Enough to work on. And they're right in their Beatitudes that you were named after. It... Uh, talks about blessed are the poor now it's also the poor in spirit Scott Peck said there's an intellectual way to read that blessed are the poor in spirit and it is blessed are the confused that might be helpful to us because most of our life is lived that way with all kinds of questions but blessed are the poor the poor that I've seen throughout the world, why are they blessed? One of my teachers said, because they don't have anything that stands between them and God. Just been to Africa. Nothing. If you have nothing, you've got nothing that stands between you and God. And I find among some of those people in those poor places, some of the greatest of faith that I have ever known. 
See, right now, the, the graven images, uh, it's, it's, it's not that God, God isn't mad about the graven images that we have in our society. A graven images, anything that gets in the way of you and God, just take it with you. Anything that gets in the way, could be materialism, whatever. But it's somebody who said that uh, a graven image today is busyness. God is not jealous of you, paying attention to other place. God is not mad at your busyness, but God is sad at our busyness because God misses you. We'd like to be with you. And we let stuff get in the way. In our society, being busy is such an important thing. Let me tell you this about every clergy that I've ever known. You know, Jim's here, and he could tell you if, if it was different for him. The highest compliments come to ministers if you're busy. Oh, Dick, he's got so much energy. He's just everywhere. He's at all of our meetings. And, oh, my gosh, he's so wonderful. He's, he's busy. He's just busy all the time. And that's the highest compliment. I found that to be the highest problem at this time in my life. It is Eugene Peterson who was being interviewed by my friend Bill McNabb, who lived, grew up in this neighborhood, incidentally. My good buddy Bill was interviewing Eugene Peterson, who rewrote the Bible, and he said, busyness is essentially laziness, doing the easy thing rather than the hard thing. The hard thing for us to be still long enough where we can hear the distant voice of God. Oh, and incidentally, to the prison each Monday night, I do not bring words. I don't give any instructions. I don't try to inspire them to live differently. I come and I practice being quiet. We meditate for 20 minutes and then converse about life issues. So in this season, we will tell sweet stories, all kinds of sweet stories that are around, you know. Remember that boy playing the innkeeper, you know, and he's so enthralled. He's, he's definitely got the spirit of Jesus in him, and, and it's, uh, he's standing there, and here's Mary and Joseph, and she's very pregnant. And says, is there any room in the end? And you know the line, no, there's no room in the end. He says, there's no room in the end, but... Ah, oh, shoot. Joe, Mary, come on, you can have my room. Kind of ends the play at that time, but definitely he caught on to the spirit. And among some of those sweet stories is Sue Monk Kid, who tells about when her daughter was small and got the dubious part in the Bethlehem, in, in the, the, the pageant. Uh, her role was to play the Bethlehem star that was hanging over the major. And so her mother said that after her first rehearsal, she burst through the door with her costume, a five-pointed star lined in shiny gold tinsel designed to drape over her like a sandwich board. And she looked at her and said, now, what exactly will you be doing in the play? Her mother said, 
And the daughter said, I just stand there and shine. I just stand there and shine in this season. And don't just do something. Stand there. Shine with the gift God planted in you on the day you were born. It will be enough for you to give the world as a gift that is desperately in need of the gift planted in you. In this season, let's get real, let's be still. The season is not about just giving. The season, you see, we get it backward. It's about receiving. It's about receiving. I know the Magi and all that stuff. I know the stuff. Yeah, I, I know all that stuff. And as a kid, let me tell you, I love gifts. Yeah. But it's mainly about receiving God's grace that can only be received, never earned. May God bless you with open arms as Christ comes your way and as you give the marvelous gift of yourself to any human face who needs you badly, receives you gladly. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.